Resonance FM in residence at Tate Modern. Welcome to the Tate Modern. We are in a kind of unnatural uh, restaurant setting. It's not quite... We could maybe imagine that there's a piano player over here and we're all kind of facing... It's more of a cabaret style than a sitting around the table. So this is the uh, gentle art of talking to strangers. I'm Lucia Scherzocchio. And this is a bit of an experiment. It's something that I've never done before. So it's as nerve wracking for me as it is for the people who have volunteered to get involved. Um, so let me just explain the setting. Um, so for the last few hours, I've been wandering around the Tate Modern looking for volunteers to take part in a conversation. And we are using the idea of uh, Theodore Zeldin's conversation menus and so uh, Theodore Zeldin is a philosopher and he has written quite a number of books about the art of conversation and how we perhaps need to think about how we converse with people and the kinds of conversations we have. So he's created these events uh, called conversation dinners where uh, strangers are invited to share a meal and they're given a menu and on that menu are some topics to explore with whoever's sitting next to you. So we're going to do this as a live radio show and see what happens. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to do would be to introduce ourselves around the table. So let's start right over here to my right. Would you like to introduce yourself? And yeah, tell us, you don't have to give us much detail, but perhaps what you've seen today or what you've been doing. My name is Rad, um, 33 years old. I don't know if that's relevant or not. Uh, I came here with my friend Fran, who's sitting next to me, and we came to see an exhibition that closed a year ago. Um, <laughs> it was a slight uh, mismatch of calendars. but So we just wandered around aimlessly, but we saw some interesting things. So it's, it's, it's all turned out well. Excellent. So, Fran? Hi, I'm Fran, and um, I'm here with Rad, and um, I made him come to an exhibition um, of a textile artist called Annie Albers, because I'd read something about her uh, at the weekend, and um, was very interested in seeing that there was an exhibition at the Tate of her work, but then got here and realised it was actually last year. So, so, so what did you end up seeing? Uh, we went to see a Pike, um, and... Uh, yeah, we just and then we went for a cup of tea. Great, and that's where I met you, yeah. in the members cafe. <laughs> okay, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Pablo. Um, I'm a recent graduate in fine art and theatre. I'm quite interested in uh, uh, digital art, so I came to see Namjoon Pike exhibition. Luckily, it was on, um, <laughs> so I just come from seeing that. Any, anything that struck you? Has, have you been moved? Has anything kind of I have been stood moved out? up to room three and then I had to pop out. <laughs> then you had to move down. Yeah. I'll go back and surely yeah. I'll be moved by some more artworks. Looking forward to that. Excellent, thank you. And so to my left here. My name is Harry. Um, I came in here uh, to accompany my kids, um, four of them. Um, one of them is preparing for her GCSE arts and she needed to have a feel of what it is um, in the art world and the others are accompanying her so they are up and about on the free displays um, so I'm slightly remote working while waiting for them to complete their exhibitions or or thoughts, and then when I saw the lovely lady asking me to volunteer, um, and it was uh, interesting, I'm intrigued to find out how talking to strangers will be, uh, you know, considering the peculiar London environment. Yeah, so I think there, that is something interesting about, I think most, many big cities have this, where we kind of tend to be more head down, a bit we don't we don't like to kind of look up and, and talk to people randomly it's a bit scary so I yeah I understand that this isn't the most natural uh, thing to do um, so this this was our kind of amuse-bouche which we've, uh, we've 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 done would anyone like to start with a starter would anyone want to uh, launch a question that intrigues them from the starter menu hmm. any of them do we have to go in order um, no you can pick you, like a menu you would pick one you wouldn't oh. unless you know some people have four starters <laughs> <laughs> four desserts four desserts yeah 
Um, so yeah, I mean, in the same way that a menu works, you kind of pick what you, what intrigues you, what what you might find tasty. Um, you might have fish instead of a grill. You might have a salad. You might have a soup. So yeah, let's start with the starter. Well, I, I think the um, what's the most decisive, enjoyable, or difficult conversations you've had is really interesting because I started thinking about that and. Um, I have my own that I can think of now, but it was quite hard to do in a way because conversation is quite ephemeral. Um, but yeah, I'd quite like to know. I'd like to know what yours. My most enjoyable or difficult. You choose. I'll choose. Um, I think the most. Um, it's quite cliche, but the most difficult one was always like a breakup or something like that. Um, yeah, something quite hard to convey. You're not coming. It might link up to the question about love later. Um, so that's something to hang on to. Um, I think when it comes to love, sometimes you have to have difficult conversations about shifting feelings, and um, it's hard to understand why that happens, and it's hard to convey when you can't really tell. Um, the reasons or or the outcome of that maybe you want to keep a relationship but you want to you wanted to change slightly so I think those subtleties are the hardest things to convey really difficult um, at least I struggle with that yeah so it's almost a conversation about not knowing really how to have a conversation perhaps yeah I think that's quite common today um, I guess that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. so well, why today in particular? Why more today than other times? Being here today? No, like um, you saying that's more difficult today, like oh, having that kind mm -hmm. of conversation. I guess just um, technology, it's again quite cliche, but yeah, technology, connections, um, we forget live and um, real life scenario, physical connections as we um, shift to immaterial connection, if that makes sense. So, well, yeah. while I, you know, personally I feel as a, as, as a people, as a tribe, or as a, you know, as a set generation, we tried to blame something on something, right? Why, yeah, why are we not talking to people, we seem to say, oh, well, it's technology. Well, I appreciate this is a technological age, but we also had other inventions shift way years back that we could have also said our reasons for so many things. But personally, I think that as, as a generation, we have tried to lie to ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's we have tried to assume that we don't require the presence of another person, that we are all encompassing, that we can stand on our own. And that has been driven from the fear of opening up to other things that are not ourselves. So um, I want to not to open up to my wife because I don't want her to know how vulnerable I am 
and she will do the same to me because she wants to have her own space. You are not you are scared of what the other person will do with what you have opened up to, and so you button up, and that has not been. Um, We've tried to have, we tend to thrive on that because the law also has made it possible for any misunderstanding between two people which could have been settled out amicably now has the full law on it. So everyone is now scared. I'm scared of talking to anybody because I don't know what I will say. I'm watching my tone, I'm watching my language, my body. You know. So I'm now drawn back. So it's easy for me to say, well, it's technology. Technology has exacerbated this fear, but I don't still feel that it's technology on its own. We need to come up. We can also link up with technology and complete that association physically, which is what you know, the various apps are trying to assist us to do. Well, Sometimes we just end up, you know, taking the bad side of the technology. That's my own personal. How about um, Fran, Red, any thoughts about? <laughs> <laughs> You're both indicating Honestly, to each other. He's, um, yeah, Brad hasn't spoken yet, so I think he should talk. Except he says he hasn't got anything to say. <laughs> Rarely. Um, I think conversations are interesting in that if you think when was the last time you had a really meaningful conversation with anybody I mean including your loved ones you know it's um, quite often we go through life for perhaps years without having a really proper conversation about anything and uh, I don't know if the art of conversation is any less um, developed now than it has been in past times because I think a lot of the time your conversations are in your own head and um, certainly for me um, I was just trying to think about the last time I had a really deep conversation with somebody and uh, I can't remember what, What's preventing you from doing it? From having these kind of conversations? Um, me I suppose really I don't really want to have those conversations with other people I choose to have them perhaps in my own head <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting. So is it like a fear of like what Henry was saying? No, I don't think it's fear. I think it's just um, um, maybe it's the difference between being an introverted person and being an extroverted person, that you spend a lot of time in your own head processing things rather than talking about them with other people. I don't know. I wouldn't say it was fear. It's just I've never really... It's perhaps you know, just doesn't arise that often that you really meet somebody you really want to have a conversation with. I can completely relate because I think um, I quite often find myself kind of rehearsing conversations in my head but then never actually materialising those conversations into action or into reality. So you just have them for yourself and then wish they they would happen but they never actually do but isn't that up to you to exactly, make them exactly yeah it's the hard step i think it's as difficult to have um a conversation uh, like it's as difficult to say like break up with someone 
but it's also just as difficult to express your love to someone, do you think? Yeah, I do, and I think also you don't necessarily express your love through a conversation, do you? Perhaps do it just by making somebody a really lovely meal or exactly yeah. just doing something nice for them. Um, mm. Yeah, conversation is, um, I suppose, perhaps to some degree, it's just a practical tool to actually get through your day, isn't it? Really, mm. or sometimes it's good to just like chat to somebody randomly on a train because actually that's. Sometimes it's val- I mean, some of my best conversations have been with people I don't really know. Yeah. I, I think that's very that's, true. That's, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's correct because um, there we are not expecting anything. It hasn't been stereotyped. You are just yourself, and you feel that relief that you've you've you know started that conversation and you've ended it. Unlike where I have to take three minutes, three seconds back run through what I need to say that takes up my energy and when I'm making that conversation I'm also tensed up so at the end of the conversation I'll say hmm, that was a conversation but you know but I was tensed up all through and also because of the London pressure if I'm speaking with you on a conversation I'm checking my time when is would I be able to make my point before the next stop before you break me up because you need to go to lunch so those keep us at age when we are making these conversations and at the end why bother wow (laughs) that's quite radical okay (laughs) Um, let's move on to the next course does anyone want to choose um, how about you Henry why don't you choose uh, the next course you We've had a starter. You might yeah. want a soup as well. You might want a fish. Right? Yeah, um, it's what we have rebelled against in the past. And, you know, what are we rebelling against now as part of fish menu? Okay. So what have you rebelled against in the past and what are you rebelling against now? Is anyone mm. feeling like they've rebelled or rebelling? You're nodding. I don't really have an actively rebellious history, but I guess I'm quite... um, I'd like to think independently and not necessarily tied within... um, Not not in the kind of anarchist wave, but kind of like law is not always the, the central and like the the Bible, shall we say, without offending any um, religious um, beliefs. So a set of kind of structural rules. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I believe, it doesn't always work for everyone because it's really hard to make something universal and and really um, hegemonic. How about you, Fran, any rebelled against your parents, your, like, society? No, I'm not a very rebellious person. <laughs> I'm quietly rebellious. I'm just rebelling this morning against, um, against, well, I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing today in not having a full-time job that allows me to just come to the Tate on a Wednesday morning. And, um, Rad, any rebellion in your life? You know, 
across my life I've probably rebelled against everything there is to rebel against. But <laughs> I think the thing I find rebelling my, myself rebelling against most is, is just the concept of certainty. I really don't like being certain of anything because when you get certainty you stop questioning. Oh, and when you stop okay. questioning you become stale and stagnant and that's really the most dangerous state you can be in is to be certain of anything. So I guess that's what I try to rebel against these days. How do you do that? Um, it's a system of checks I guess if you find yourself in conversation with someone and they ask you a question and the, and the, and the most difficult moment in conversations is when someone proves you wrong or <laughs> asks something where you don't have you don't have an answer to and you go the instinct is to is to fight against them because you, you don't want to be wrong and 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 when that happens i have to sort of hold on this is this is the moment when you've gone too cocky when you've gone too yeah. certain it's time to take that away and ferment on it in your, in your, in your own time and, and, and perhaps revise what you believe or, or find an argument or, or evidence to support what you thought. But it's, it's yeah, you have to, you know, check yourself periodically. But that can be quite refreshing, can't it, when you've always thought a certain way and then somebody, something that somebody said through a conversation or, you know, have pointed something out that starts making you think, oh, maybe. Oh, absolutely. I've in been fact, wrong. more people should ha have that internal check system because there, there's, uh, or, you know, people have, uh, seem to have reached this point where everything they believe has become ingrained and it's, it's, it's almost taboo to change your opinion on, on, on things, which I think fosters and nurtures a very close-minded and, and borderline dangerous society. I mean, we are in a moment of quite polarised mm. opinions and people do, I don't know, um, yeah, I mean, people do seem to kind of stick to these opinions and not really know where they came from anymore, uh, often. Uh, if you kind of question, it's like, well, why do you think that? Well, just because I do. And um, it's like, okay, that doesn't, you know, back it up. I have conversations with people and you know, things like economic prognoses have become part of their identity and what's that about? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, it's a very weird time. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Quaker, and um, Quakers have a, a, a very good phrase, and it says, consider you may be mistaken, and um, I think that's a very valuable thing for our time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I teach a lot of... Um, radio to people from all ages and one of the first things that we kind of talk about and reflect on is assumptions so when you're going and interviewing people or you know doing a radio program or approaching people in the street or in a museum you know there's this kind of set of assumptions that we have and I'm, I love it when my set of assumptions you know I think ah oh, this person's going to be like this and actually they prove to be completely, completely wrong. You know, I've just made up a story about somebody and I love being kind of... Proved wrong? Yeah, proved wrong. And, and just Absolutely. like, oh, I knew... And, and it's so refreshing just to find out, you know, some completely new things about someone. Yeah, that is interesting, um, that 
it, it still comes back to this stereotype thing, feeling that we have. You have already concluded even before you started the journey. And if, if unfortunately you are not the one or the type that will accept change, you are now stuck with what you have already stereotyped in your head before the conversation, before the visit, before the action, and that's where we now have the polarism. If, which is what I, for me, I'm rebelling against now. Why can't people change? Why can't we accept other people's view? If you have a higher argument than, my, than me, I'll consider that. Obviously, I may not be you know, 100% happy that you have outshined me in the conversation, but that's what it is. So I accept that, and we move on. Um, which is not happening now because we have already have stereotyped. I don't know if there are other factors behind the stero um, stereotyping before we, are, before we start the journey. Otherwise, we should be able to accept and move and change. Mm. This isn't on the menu, but it's a question that I'm going to throw in there. Maybe <laughs> I've asked for some bread um, <laughs> and a bit of butter. Um, so what assumptions have people made about, do people often make about you that are completely wrong? All of you, group. I need to have a thing now. Um. Well, um, for me, I, they've always told me you look very serious, well, but then when they get to know me better, I'm just as easygoing as my kids can confirm. <laughs> right now, and I do accept that comment because initially I tend to be looked that serious, but I'm not. I kept asking myself. What is it that you're trying to protect while you are showing up this serious face? And I can't really figure out what. <laughs> but, you know, I've heard it so many times. I mean, there's an element of truth in it. Um, so even my emails, one of my colleagues said, your emails are very stiff. Can you turn it down a bit? So sometimes the assumptions are right, but within me, when I cross that boundary, I'm just very easygoing. Great. Has anyone thought of something while Henry's been talking? Yeah, I think the first time I meet some of my good friends now um, often tell me the first time they met me, they thought I don't um, keep anything to myself, as in they think I'm quite confident or don't that I don't tend to doubt about things, but then I kind of reveal like layers of the onion, right? So um, I tend to reveal all these like doubts and uncertainties coming back to your certainty and the danger of certainty. I am quite uncertain person mm. about what I do, about what I say. So it is a complete like contradiction from what people assume to what people to what you finally meet the real person 
Yeah, They're just like the layers of an orange. Yeah. Onion, sorry. Onion, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, orange. Peel of an orange layer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get a similar thing where people assume I'm more confident or certain of myself than I am, and as as you said, Pablo, is as a, a whole set of layers of uncertainties and doubts underneath. But I think that's that's the thing: being aware of them and being being comfortable with them and being com comfortable with working on them and talking about them with people is is then what makes you more happy with yourself, which then perhaps projects as, as confidence rather than, because I know a lot of my friends who, are, who believe that any insecurity they have is unnatural, it's abnormal, and they don't want to talk about it because it's an assault on their sense of self, and that's, that's a very defensive way of being. It must be quite stressful. I'm going to ask Fran, but apparently somebody swore, and I have to um, apologize, but I didn't hear it so maybe I wasn't listening carefully enough I don't know <laughs> but it was heard so apologies to the listeners we can't swear just so you know um Fran any anything to add um people, no, assumptions I'm, that people make about you well I'm I'm a middle class middle-aged woman people make loads of assumptions about me all the time but I don't care I just you know I just know who I am, and that's fine. I, people who I want to talk with more find out that I'm not what I seem, but, you know, that's fine. Okay. Um, Brad, do you want to pick a next dish? Hmm. Well, why, why don't we have a grill? Okay. Um, I mean... Pablo, you alerted to love earlier, so let's uh -huh. let's let's have a nice little uh, round of love. <laughs> uh, what have you learned about the different varieties of love in the course of your life? Um, I don't. I'm only 21, to be fair, so that's a <laughs> disclaimer. Um, I don't tend to keep varieties. I tend to keep all my loved ones within the same category. It might seem unusual but there's no difference between for me there's no difference between like a lover or a friend I've not got anyone like um, like um, on a pedestal who's like my eternal they're all like friends for me and they're all they all stand in the same place even like family it's all like the same realm of relationships I don't tend to separate or or put people in pedestals of different heights, yeah. So I guess quite like universal, quite uniform. Um, I do. I am quite passionate, and with like everyone, if I do love someone, I show I show that, and I I make it obvious, and just it's either yes or no kind of thing yeah there's, mm. there's no not many levels of intensities either you're lucky or you're not <laughs> that's quite unusual do you think yeah 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 i mean yes <laughs> interesting Can well um when you talk about love um as against you know your description i do have flavors if i call it that way 
flavors in the sense that I will want someone that I love to be able to tell me where I've gone wrong without any fear of what my reaction will be. And probably in that second, I may not be able to show that I appreciate that, but give me 10 minutes, 30, sec 30 minutes, I'll be able to come back to that set. What you said was right. And that is the kind of love I want or I do have with my other half. Now, another flavor will be where I need to respect other people's sensitivity and they, you know, when I'm reacting or communicating with them, while I appreciate that they do have feelings for me, I also have to make sure that I accommodate their feelings. I may not be able to come out straight to say I don't like what you're doing because I have not come very close to know how they will react. Um, and then the general love for human beings, for anyone around me, knowing that how you treat them eventually come back to how people will treat you. So I kind of say the general love flavor the closer ones, probably extended family, and then my other half, which is no bounds. You say it as it is, I say it as it is, and then we may have some tension within the first 10 minutes, but eventually it comes around. How long did it take to get to that stage? Well, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> 15 years now, all right. So, so it's a process. It's a process, yeah. And you've got four children, so when you had your first child, could you imagine that kind of love before? No, because obviously pray, pray her birth, and just after her birth, it was more like anything can happen. So then I said anything can happen, but now anything cannot happen. We can't just break up, <laughs> so that's not an option. Yeah. So, so we've passed that stage uh, where we have an option with these kids around and what we have going on. We can't consider those, and that's why where you feel it's not right, say it. Because the more we have that ten minutes argument conversation, it's better for us than having to be five years regretting why we didn't have that conversation. Mm. So that's... So, Rad, do you want to reflect on your own question? Um, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, as, 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 as one ages rapidly, uh, you sort of come to see love where, where you didn't used to see it, you know. Um, I, I, I now, you know, I, I, I love hating some people. I mean, you know, <laughs> some enemies I wouldn't exchange for anything else in the world. Uh, because, you know, you, you play off everyone, and even though it doesn't display itself in a traditional manner, you, you, you do kind of find that you love certain things that you wouldn't even have thought of as love before. But I think the, the, the important one is, 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 and this is going to sound terribly narcissistic, but, but, but sort of lo loving oneself, because... I, I found in my younger days that you sort of sought, 
try to find relationships to address problems you have had with yourself, mm. uh, placing uh, an unfair burden on others and really making those relationships unsustainable because whatever they offer can never fix things you just need to work on yourself. So it, it is finding that moment where you step back and you go, I need to look after myself, care for myself, love myself, be open and, and, and tackle problems that perhaps you were blind to before and if you're lucky you have people around you with whom you can have honest conversations about those things. So it's, it's, it's that possibly has been other than obvious romantic Mm -hmm. uh, life-changing, soulmatey type things. That's probably has been the most transformative realization about love. So that's interesting. That um, I think we often place a lot of expectations on one person. So um, what you were saying quite interested me, Pablo. That you know you have this more kind of universal um, perspective. Mm -hmm. and that often we place everything on one person so they've got to be many, many things and so that's a lot of pressure It's a lot to carry on yeah. one person's shoulders yeah. yeah, So, and I think that's becoming increasingly so um, I'm not sure why um, but there is this kind of when people get together their other half becomes everything becomes their best friend becomes their jogging partner becomes their, you know everything they do is kind of focused on that one person and I think that's, I'm not sure how healthy that is mm. Yeah, It's a lot of pressure I, I see that because obviously um, when there are moments you want to have your me time, which everyone does need yeah. that, and the other half does not want to have her own me time so she's encroaching into yours and you know, you feel that crushing. But then, the difference now is how do you handle that? So, when you are able to say, please, I just need some time, does the person understand that it's just a healthy time that you want? That's where the difference now comes in, right? So, how does the other person, are you on the same plane? If you are on the same plane, then that burden of having to rely on one person is spread out, but if there is a discord, then that is exacerbates into attention. So, um, luckily, these conversations we've had those. So when I say please, it's not it has nothing to do with you, what you are, what you bring to the table, or how you feel. It's just for the moment. So if that ground rule is set then we are able to deal with that reliance on one person, which is also very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we said, well, there's no option. So you better deal with it. That works for me. Now, I don't know how other people, but it's just me. <laughs> any, any response to that? It's, um, sorry, what yeah. you said earlier about the um, half, was it like half orange? Is that right? Yeah. Half your other half. Yeah, my other half. Yeah. Um, it kind of like re reminds me of that reliance and the need for another half, mm -hmm. which is very, in my opinion, it's very rooted in fiction. Yeah. And um, 
and just uh, cinemas or or the media's narratives, which is what I tend to rebel against. Yeah. I guess that's one of the yeah. rebellious attitudes I've got. But yeah, it really reminded me of um, of that need for a, a significant other, or which is quite institutional, not institutionalized, like engraved in in Western society. I don't know if you agree. Well, now you're right. Hmm. It's institutionalized, well, and most of um, the hype tends to be towards that. But you also need to appreciate that there are ground rules that will make that to be sustained. Those ground rules may not have been as firmed up before that institutionalization, which for me, it's that no matter what happens at this point, or maybe the next 10 minutes, it does not change anything from what the conversations we've had, which is you are who you are, I am who I am, and somehow we have been able to align. So if that's understood, then we can move forward to the next phase. If that is not, and then you are going with a hype of institutionalizing that other half, hmm. it doesn't match. Hmm. So that pre, maybe you might say it's courting, you might say it's having gone through so many things, the first child, second child, which anything would have happened because we are all still floating, we all had our individual lives. But we have peeled off those that are not important hmm. to come to that. Now, the difference between the westernized film is that it happens within two, two days, two months, six months. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. So if the things we're able to say this happens across 10 years, 15 years, then that makes more sense, more realistic for me. Oh, are we too impatient? That's it. Mm. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Fran, anything to add to this topic? Mm, no, I just think that um, one of the things that I've learned about love throughout my life is that um, you have to be prepared to lose the thing that you love. Mm. To lose a finger? To lose the thing that oh. you love. <laughs> it might be that you like your finger, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, very fond of mine. They're them. useful. They're yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's something that we don't really think about in our society, the fact that things you love can vanish really quickly and mm. um, coming to terms with that is a very difficult thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pablo, you mm. haven't... Have you chosen something yet? I don't think so. Do you want to um, pick a salad or a dessert? Could I please get a... Um, How have you made and lost friendships and what kind of friends would you like? And am I sending the question? Yeah, the you can, yes, absolutely. Okay, I'd um, like to send that question to Fran. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think um, I've made friendships just by being open to people, I guess. So um, just people that I wouldn't necessarily have had anything in common with on the surface just spending some time with and I've really gelled with them and just found 
um, that you shouldn't make, we're going back to the idea about making assumptions, don't make assumptions about people at all. And actually, some of my deepest friendships are people that I've met completely randomly. And, um, you know, and they're some of the most important things in my life now. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of a random encounter? Um, yeah, so one of my really good friends um, I met uh, while I was covering a, a news story about, um, about um, a, a, some American anti-abortionists coming over to, um, to campaign against an abortion clinic in London. And um, this woman happened to be the press officer and I was the journalist covering the story and we just got on really well and, you know, 30, 30 years later, we're still really good friends. Yeah, great. Yeah, friendships. I've made lots of friends across my lifetime. Um, though, if I question myself, have you kept them or have they really been at the tone upon which the friendship was um, instituted? No. Um, but I do have some very close friends um, who I listen to, who I can be able to talk to, and who also are able to appreciate where you're coming from in those various difficult com- you know, conversations. Um, having said that, across the lot, I have lots of friends, as I come in, everyone says your name, you mingle around with them. But honestly, when I go back, I'll now say, you call those people your friends, were you able to interact with them to do what friends are supposed to do? And I struggle to answer that question to myself, Mm. if I'm being honest. And why did that question interest, pique your interest? I just read it earlier and I thought, I'm in the mood for a grill. Um, (laughs) Just because um, I guess I thought about um, my own answer. It's quite um, a self-centered thing to say. Yeah, so it it triggered my senses to find out about other perspectives on on that same question. So how would you answer that question? Um... Need to read again. Um, yeah, have lost friendships. It's coming back to the honesty um, issue you brought up before. Like being, I think I tend to be quite blunt and quite. Um, I just say what I mean, and I think I assume I make assumptions and think people can take that bluntness and that honesty, mm-hmm. and it's not always the case. Yep. So. Um, I've lost friendships due to to that honesty and because of that I'd I'd, um, always kind of my friends tend to be quite receptive to honesty and receptive to my bluntness and I'm always quite receptive to that as well because I think if you give it you also have to learn how to take it if that makes sense so yeah do you think um, I, I guess there's being critical and there's being, you know, there, there were kind of different levels yeah. of destructive, constructive, and yeah, and it's never aimed at towards hurting someone. It's just from 
from um, intention of if you know someone's going through um, rough times or whatever, you try to be really, well I try to be really blunt and just say things as they are and hope that that helps, but it's not always the case. Not everyone receives help in the same way. And yeah, I guess with our friends, we also want them to be better. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's so, quite, yeah, it's quite distressing when you can't see that happen. Mm. Mm. I think we um, a good thing to have is a sort of smorgasbord of friends. So some friends are um, more able to cope or to help in certain circumstances and and some friends are there for just times when you know they might need you to help and actually you helping them is a, a way of almost discovering a bit more about yourself as well and perhaps um, you know so different friends for different situations as well I mean I don't my, all my friends don't know each other and I know that's not always the case but yeah I have quite a broad spectrum Thank you. We are going to have to finish it there. The hour has gone incredibly really fast. <laughs> it's amazing. So, Fran, Pablo, Henry, thank you so much for being brave enough to do this. I think it was it worked. I'm, yeah, I'm quite you know. I think we had an interesting conversation, and I think we learned a lot about each other. Mm. So, thank you so thank you. much yeah. for taking part in this experiment. Thank you. Resonance FM's residency at Tate Modern.